So Matthew 22, and I'm going to start in verse 34. 22. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, starting in verse 34, says, When the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. And then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And I stop there. I'm going to pray before we continue. Lord, I just again ask this morning that you would help me as I speak this morning. Uh, Lord, I just ask that you would guide my, my thoughts and my words that... The things that I speak would be right and true and helpful in some way this morning. Lord, I just pray that uh, we would all grow um, in our walk with you, Lord, that we would grow closer to you through our time. And, and Lord, we just ask your blessing on our fellowship um, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've kind of carried on this thought, um, this Discussion that Jesus has been having with these various religious leaders. Um, we, I pointed out a couple of weeks ago the different groups, the religious sects that are gathered together and united in this one thing in that they hate Jesus. <laughs> they need to get rid of this guy. And they're putting their, their smartest and their best scholars forward, trying to come up with some way of tripping up what Jesus has to say, trying to come up with some kind of fault in his words. And the last, it was a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the one with the Sadducees, and now we're, the, the Pharisees have regrouped, and, well, the Sadducees, with their one thing that we aren't able to answer, Jesus answered. And so if, if they can't trip him up, how are we going to, is basically what the issue is. And so they, we have a lawyer. He's good with his words. He's good with his ideas. And I love how the scripture explains to, to us. So in our simplicity, if we're not understanding what's going on, it, it explains it for us. This isn't an honest question. <laughs> he asks them a question, but it's not. he's not looking for an honest answer. He's just... It says he's, he asked him a question, tempting him. He's trying to come up and create a fault, something that we can use against him in his words. And so he asks him this question, which is the great commandment in the law? <clears throat> and Jesus answers, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and he didn't stop there. He continues to answer a question that wasn't asked, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he carries on again and explains that on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Absolutely. Like the entire book is based on those two thoughts. The entire book, that's the whole point of the book, 
is to point us to those two things. It wasn't that long ago I, we, we got into something about the, the law again, and I, I went through all Ten Commandments, and I, we just kind of talked about that a little bit. I'm going to read them off one more time. The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second is, Thou shalt not make any graven image. The third, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And the fourth is to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And it's those first four is that Jesus sums up in the statement, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. That statement is what sums up those four commands. Those are our, the four commandments that deal specifically with our relationship with God. And the commandments carry on. It says, Honor thy father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. And thou shalt not covet. And so these last six are dealing with our relationship with man, with people, with people kind. These, that's the second greatest commandment that Jesus sums up, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so he says that sums up all of the law and the prophets. Here's like just the basic ten. And God didn't, he couldn't stop with the ten. And we'll, we'll get into to that in a little bit, but you look in the, the Old Testament, I can't remember what the number is, 300 and whatever. Lots of, lots of, there's lots of specific laws, specific rules. And then, but he says all the law and the prophets are summed up in this. It's like the whole, the whole point of the explanation and the prophets dealing with people and how we interact and how we respond to God, how we deal with each other, all of that is summed up in these two simple statements. I guess that makes us have to ask the question, why do we need such a big book? It's because we mess it up that much. We need that much explanation. We need that much help to understand this concept. The world has taken Jesus' words um, and they call it the golden rule. It's interesting that they skipped the first and great commandment. And this, the golden rule is actually a, this, the second of the importance here, but this is what people do, right? Um, and it's summed up with do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's a, that's a good statement. It's a good way of teaching children how to interact with each other. And it's a biblical principle. Like, it it's, sounds very similar, at least, to what Jesus said. And so it's not that it's a bad thing. But, you know, almost every religion in the world teaches that same thing. And so if that is the basis of what your religion is teaching, we're no different 
than any other religion, whether it's Buddhism or, or you name it, any religion that teaches how to interact with people to be a good person teaches that same principle. And so if that's the extent of our teaching as a church, we're no better, no different than any other religion. But we hopefully are different, we strive to be different, and I'll try to point out some of what that difference is this morning. I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 10. I don't know if this is the actual same discussion elaborated on. It's kind of brought up a little bit differently, the way that it's, with the way the conversation goes. Um, but the same basic conversation is taking place, and it is with a lawyer. Again, I'm going to read the, the story starting in verse 25. So Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, says, <clears throat> And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answering said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So that was the lawyer giving that answer in this case, not Jesus. So that's why I'm not sure if it's actually a different, a different instance or just a different um, description of the conversation. But verse 28, Jesus says, and, thou, and he answered unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. So here's Jesus taking that same statement of love the Lord thy God, and then also a lovely neighbor as ourself, and then giving a scenario to help explain how this actually should look in our life. And our world, our lost world, we have in Canada something called the Samaritan, a good, good Samaritan law act, I don't know. But it's a, it's a law that makes it so that if you or I were to stop and, or to see somebody in need, seriously hurt, 
we can, without any training, without medical training, we can go and try to help that person to the best of our ability. And if we inadvertently do something that that person dies, we cannot be sued. <laughs> because we have a, a good Samaritan Act that says that if you're in good faith trying your best to help a person, you're not liable. And so it's because we have a society where people, everybody wants to sue everybody if for anything that happens. And so to prevent people from being afraid of attempting to help someone that's injured, someone that's dying, we create a law that says you're protected to, in doing that. If you come across and you do your best to help that person, we're going to protect you from being sued. That's a lost world. <laughs> uses this biblical story to create laws and principles of how we are to interact as a society. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? <laughs> that the world uses the Bible and the biblical principles and even the biblical terms to describe these things. But there's a problem. And you're expecting me to preach about being a good Samaritan and doing these good things. That's not what I'm going to do. I see a problem with this. Am I, am I saying there's something wrong with what Jesus said? Not in any way. I'm saying there's a problem in the way that people use it. People, this principle of loving your neighbor as yourself is easy to misuse. It's easy to use to manipulate other people, it's easy to use to control how other people act. And there's a problem with that. And if I was to try to come up with some hypothetical example, if you were trying to force everybody to comply with some mandate <laughs> of some sort, um, What if it, and we tell them that complying with, if you do as you're told, you're going to be protecting others. And that if you don't do as you're told, you're going to be putting others at risk. Therefore, you need to follow the golden rule and do as you're told. Because we do unto others as we, we want to, we would want to be protected and therefore we need to protect them from harm. But the problem is, and it sounds right when I've heard many preachers, many religious people, many worldly people use that exact argument. There's most churches in Thunder Bay will say something to that effect to try to convince you that that would be the right way to respond to this hypothetical situation. But the problem is, that's manipulative, isn't it? We're trying to manipulate you and manipulate the situation to make it look like you're not following that rule. Where in reality, it's them that's not following that rule. Let's look at it from the other side. If the person demanding compliance 
if they're following, are, are they following the golden rule? Would they like if someone demanded that they do something that they felt was unreasonable, possibly even harmful? And what if it was dopeful that it, if complied with, would actually do the good that they were claiming it would do as far as protecting? Right? That's, that's what the, the issue becomes is, I have questions. <laughs> I, I don't think that this doing this is actually helpful. I think it might actually be harmful, whether to me or maybe even to the others that you're trying to impose it on. And so when we look at it from the other side, like, well, it's that person that's trying to get everybody to comply with this thing that isn't helpful, isn't might may even be harmful. It's at very least questionable <laughs> and seems unreasonable. They're not following what they're calling the golden rule. They're not loving their neighbors as themselves. They're not doing unto others as they would have done unto them if the roles were reversed, right? And so by manipulating that and trying to make it sound like we're, by not complying, not loving our neighbor is just a, manip a manipulative way of dealing with this and using this statement of Jesus to try to control people. Um, there's always more ways to look at things. We need to be careful in just swallowing what's being told and how people are using scripture to get their way, to get you to do what they think you ought to do. Maybe there's another side to that that we need to consider, and maybe, maybe they're the ones that aren't using the scripture properly. There's a second issue here, is that the second rule that Jesus, the second most important commandment, doesn't take precedent over the first most important commandment. Meaning, we're never to to do something that compromises our relationship with God in order to fulfill the lesser command of loving our neighbors as ourselves, right? If, if to do the thing that is loving to my neighbor requires me to disregard my relationship with God in some way, it would be wrong for me to do the thing that's loving to my neighbor. I don't need to give you specific examples. I think you can come up with that on your own, but we need, to, we need to understand that's a principle of scripture, is that God comes first. Our neighbor doesn't come first. Our, our relationship with people doesn't come before our relationship with God. And our whole world seems to have forgotten that. I have a question. I hinted at it earlier. Is Christianity, a religion of morality? Is Christianity a religion of morals? It's a hard question, isn't it? There's a lot of rules in our book. It's a book full of rules. It's a book full of moral guidelines of how we're to live and interact. So is Christianity a religion of morals? If that's what it is, Again, I say it's no better than any other religion. It contains moral standards. 
It's the basis of morality in all aspects of the world, in every religion. All those concepts of what is right and good all comes from this same book. They may have hijacked it and disregarded the rest of the book, but when it comes to good way of living and treating people, anything good comes from this. It comes from God's standards. But that's not the end of the story. Remember when I was reading through the Ten Commandments, I paused at after four, and I made the statement that those first four deal with our relationship with God. And then at the end of the last six, I said that those ones deal with our relationship with people. Christianity is a religion, or it's about our relationship with God and with people. Morality is a part of that, but it's not the basis of it. it. The basis is our relationship with God. And then secondary to that comes our relationship with people. The point of the law is to show us what it takes to have a right relationship with God. And then also with man. Which stems back to our relationship with God. Because God requires us to have a proper relationship with people in order to have a proper relationship with him. So they're tied together in that way. But the point of the law is to show us how to achieve that. It's not just to follow the rules. It's so that we can have a real relationship with God. It's like the Bible. When people get married or have been married for a while, they often make comments of, I wish she or he came with an owner's manual. <laughs> we need help understanding how this other person functions and how they think because men and women don't think and function quite the same, right? Nobody's admitting that that's true. That's weird. <laughs> but I've many times I've heard that kind of comment. But the Bible is basically that manual for our relationship with God. And coincidentally, it's also the manual that teaches us how to have that relationship with other people. And there's even specific sections on our relationship with our spouse. It tells us how to deal with those differences that exist between men and women. It gives instructions for the women on what you need to do to have a good relationship with your husband. And it gives instructions to us as husbands of how to have a good relationship with our wife. And so we don't need to fully understand them. We just need to follow the, the rules that come in the guidebook. The book is there giving us instruction on how to achieve those relationships. But there's something more. There's something more important. It's not just a guide. I said it's there to show us how to have a right relationship with God and man. But more specifically, the Bible and specifically the law, it's not just there to show us how to have a right relationship, but it's actually there to show us how we fall short of creating that relationship. 
If you want to turn, I'm going to turn to a couple of verses. First is Romans chapter 3. Speaks to that thought. Romans 3 verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. The law does tell us how to have that right relationship. But just complying with the law doesn't get us that relationship. That's weird, right? (laughs) But the whole point of the law, and he describes here, is that it's by the law there shall no flesh be justified. It's because for by the law is the knowledge of sin. It's written there. It's given to show us what we are doing wrong. And Galatians chapter 3, so we'll spend a little bit more time in. I had a hard time with this one. I don't know how to just pick specific verses out of this chapter because the chapter kind of builds the whole thought. So if you forgive me, in reading more Bible this morning, I'm going to read most of the chapter. I'm going to start in verse 6 of Galatians chapter 3 and maybe stop to comment at a couple of verses, but we'll see. So Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 6, says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law, are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, I am going to pause there. That first section that we just read describes Abraham. And the Old Testament, even when God is having this conversation with him and telling him, giving him these promises, they say to him, the Bible says of him that Abraham believed God and God counted his belief as righteousness. It wasn't, there, was, there wasn't a written law at the time even. So it wasn't his actions, his righteous day-to-day life and he didn't smoke, he didn't drink, he didn't swear, he didn't do drugs, he didn't do, he didn't do all the things. It wasn't, had nothing to do with the way he lived. It had to do with he believed God. He believed God's promises. And it says, the scripture foreseeing, the scripture, the written word was foreseeing that God was going to justify the heathen through faith. That's us, the heathen. Not through the law, not through obeying a bunch of rules, but by believing God. 
we are the fulfillment of that promise to Abraham. And the Bible, the written word, foresaw that, that that was going to happen. The people reading it, for the most part, didn't foresee that. But the written word did in just that statement. In the promise that was made to Abraham, it saw the future and our position as heathen who believed God and it's counted to us for righteousness. So verse 10 says again, for as many as are under, as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, you have to do every little bit, every jot and tittle of the law, every, every little minute aspect of it, you would have to keep it perfectly. And it's clear that verse 11 says, but that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. It's evident because if any of us are honest in the slightest, we know we have not kept this law perfectly a day in our life. And so it's evident that by the works of the law, no flesh is going to be justified. But it finishes that statement, says the just shall live by faith. We're going to be justified by our faith, by what Christ did for us. Verse 12 says, in the law is not of faith. The man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That's what we're picturing in our communion this morning. It says, verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, Yet, if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. It's maybe you kind of missed the point as you're just reading through all of this stuff, but it, 430 years after God made that promise to Abraham is when Moses received the law, the Ten Commandments. But what he's saying is the promise was made to Abraham without the law. It was the promise was made to Abraham in faith, through faith, through believing God. And so Putting the law in didn't, un didn't undo the promise that God had made to Abraham. There was not a new requirement of the law, right? The law didn't undo the promise that it's going to be through faith that we're saved. So verse 18. If the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but works, right? But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore, then serveth the law? What's the point of the law is the question. It was added because of transgressions. 
till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. So if we back up just for a second, verse 19 says, Wherefore then serveth the law? What's the point of the law? It was added because of transgressions. So as people behave poorly and do things that destroy and, and hinder a relationship with God, God starts making a list and says, well, here's something that you're doing wrong. Here's something that you're doing wrong. And he starts writing these things down and accumulates this list of laws that he gives to Moses of, here's all the things that you guys are doing wrong that you need to correct. It's not, you can come up with it. I'm not limiting God in his foreknowledge here. This is just the way that it's written, right? Is that God didn't come up with the, the list of rules beforehand and here's all the things that you need to do to have a good relationship with me. It was the other way around. It was, here's all the things that you're doing that are ruining your relationship with me, right? That's the way that it's written. And that's the purpose of the law, was to show them what was being done wrong. Verse 22 says, But the scripture concluded all under sin, that by the promise of, by faith of Jesus Christ, might be given to them that believe. Christ, we talked about, took our sin on him. He became the curse so that now it's through faith in him, specifically, that that's how we receive that promise that was made to Abraham. Verse 23, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. And I'm going to stop there. And those two verses describes the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. It's there to show us all of what our actions that are destroying our relationship with God. And so we can look at it and we can come to the conclusion that yes, indeed, I am incapable of having a right relationship with God. <laughs> I cannot do all those things because they are a description of the wretched soul that I am. And so I need Christ to his life, his intercession for me, and his righteousness being applied to me is the only way I can have that right relationship with God. And it's through simply just faith in that, believing that I'm wretched, that he was holy, and that he did it for me, and that it, I can have that relationship through him. That's it. That's the whole point of the law. There is no salvation in the law. There is no salvation in... Treat your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. The, the golden rule, there is no salvation in that. It's just 
God looks down at us and says, you're doing all these things so poorly. I need to write you some explanation of how to have a decent relationship with each other. Here's some guidelines. Follow it. Do it. You don't get salvation through that, though. It just It's there. It just proves how terrible we are at this. It's just the relationship comes through faith, through love. So then the question comes is, do we give up on trying to do what the law teaches? Like, this is, it's, it's evident that nobody is justified by the law because <laughs> we can't do it. We're incapable of it. So do we just give up? I'm going to look at um, back in Romans. I'm going to come back to Galatians, so if you hold the finger there. I'm just going to look at Romans 7, verse um, 7, verse 18. Romans 7, verse 18. Paul is describing himself. And as we read it, it should be us describing ourselves. It says, now then, sorry, that's verse 17. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, in this body, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. Like in, in this world, in this body, in my interactions with people, I know many times what I should do. When I think about it beforehand, I know how I ought to act when I come here and talk with you guys. And when the, I actually get here, I mess it up. <laughs> and then when I go home after being here, I can look back and say, well, I should have done or said, or I know how I should have acted better than what I've done. I know it. And I want to do it. But when I get in a situation, you just kind of rub me and I, I just, <laughs> right? Like, the circumstances cause my flesh to take over and then I respond poorly and I don't fulfill the law that describes how I ought to be acting with you. And the same goes with, I want that right relationship with God. I want to spend that time reading his word. I want to spend that time in prayer. I want to spend, I want to put my trust in him and then my car breaks down on the way here and I flat tire and I, my spare is flat and now I'm angry and I'm frustrated and I, I have no faith in that God has a plan. We're here on Thursday night um, for Bible study and at the end of Bible study we were here late. <laughs> like it was 11 o'clock when we are finally trying to leave here and Everybody's heading out, and I've, I rode my motorcycle on Thursday night. And Edward was here when I arrived. And so as I'm getting off the motorcycle, I grab my key, which normally stays in it. Um, I'm taking off my helmet, and I got my backpack, and I've got all this stuff, and I'm fidgeting. 
and then realize, oh, I didn't bring my key for the door of the church. Uh, we'll, we'll wait. Somebody else will have a key. And Torsten shows up, and he doesn't have his key. And Torsten says, oh, Barry's not coming tonight, so the other person with the key isn't coming either. So here, okay, well, let's go look. And <laughs> Well, I've had the bathroom window downstairs open before. I never locked it when it got closed, so hopefully it's still allowed. I dare you to go look at that window. <laughs> How big that window is. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so that's not the point of my story. The point, so I crawl through the window, we break into the church, and we have our Bible study. But 11 o'clock, we're trying to leave, and everybody's gone. And I'm gathering my stuff up, and I'm putting my, my gear on. And I go out to the motorbike, and I'm looking through my pockets. Can't find the key for the motorcycle. I'm like, well, the description of what went, took place upon arrival here, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> it could be anywhere. I was probably, I, my thought was that it was probably holding it in my hand. And as you're going around, then just it got dropped or put down and never noticed. So I'm going around. Thankfully, um, Blair, and he was, he was in his car, half pulled out of the driveway and just waiting for me to get on the bike and get ready to go, making sure I was okay. And so finally, as I'm fidgeting and taking forever to do this, he gets out and is like, well, something, everything okay? And so my little flashlight that I carry in my pocket was nearly dead, so I couldn't see a thing. And so he pulls out his flashlight that lights up half the universe. And <laughs> we go for a walk around the church, we get back to the motorbike, and right there at the front of the motorbike is the key. So I was probably fidgeting with my helmet or backpack or whatever and dropped it right then and there, thankfully, because that was the easiest spot to spot it. But, but at the same time, I look at my phone and um, Brian and Fonda, on their way home, had seen a moose. And so they sent me a text warning me that there was a moose on the highway. So is me losing my key, God just delaying me long enough for that moose to get off of the highway and to no longer be a hazard to me. I could be incredibly angry at God or just the world. I could be cursing and swearing and just upset and I could have a terrible attitude over this thing or I can look at it and say okay God I need patience <laughs> I need to know what your purpose is in this thing in my life at this moment and I'm grateful that I wasn't angry and frustrated with it I was just dealing with it and the thought didn't even occur to me until afterwards that I could have been like that. Um, but yeah, and that's just the way God works in our lives. But we can ruin our relationship with him as he's doing something for our benefit that doesn't feel like it's for our benefit at the time. But we don't know what else he's protecting us from, right? And so the law is there to guide us but we realize that in our flesh, circumstances affect what I know I should, how I should respond and how I should act. And my circumstances sometimes takes over, even though I know better. And my desire is to trust God in these things. 
But when the circumstance happens, sometimes that overpowers my knowledge of what's right and how I should act and how I would prefer to respond. Right? The law is there to reveal the defects in our actions. So do we quit? <laughs> Paul's describing himself as like, and if you continue reading that, it's just like this dialogue of insanity, of describing back and forth what I wish I, how I li wish I lived is the opposite of what I actually do. <laughs> and so that's reality for most of us. Go back to Galatians chapter 6. The question was, do we give up? <laughs> we can't do it, so do I just give up? Never give up. Never give up. That's it. So Galatians 6, <coughs> verses 9 and 10 say, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. That's what we're asked to do. Just don't be weary in well-doing. And whenever you have opportunity to do good, do it. <laughs> Look for those opportunities and to continue doing good. I won't spend much time here. My last point was we don't obey for justification's sake. We don't obey to try to to try to gain favor with God. We don't obey. We don't try to follow the law for our salvation. Right? We obey because of. We obey because we love him. Because he first loved us. We go. With, we did a study through First, Second, and Third John, and it carries this um, theme throughout. I'll just look at a couple of the verses. First John two, verse three and four says, "And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments." He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So do we, are, are we perfect in that? No. <laughs> but our heart's desire should be that, and that should kind of be the theme of our life, is that we're keeping his commandments if we do know him. Knowing God, knowing Christ, should have had some impact on our lives, and there should be some action that stems from that. First John 5 carries on the thought, and I think you need to read through this whole thing to understand these thoughts that he's presenting. You can get caught up trying to define it from one verse or one statement, and it, you end up with a wrong view of it sometimes. First John 5, verses 2 and 3, says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. His commandments are not grievous. It's not a burden to us to, to try to live our life by the instruction of what the Bible says. That shouldn't be this grievous thing to us that, man, I hate not being able to do all this, and I hate having to be nice to people all the time. <laughs> right? It's, it's contrary to our nature, most of what's in here. That's why it's such a big book, is he's describing what's, what our nature is and how contrary it is to us. But when we love Christ, when we look at what he's done and we come to him in faith, it's like, yeah, you know, it's not so bad. I really would like to, to live that life that he's describing, to have that experience. And that's what it's talking about. And then 2 John verse 6 says, And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. And this is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. <laughs> this is love that we walk after his commandments. If you love God, and that's what it's all about, is he loved you enough to send his son to die on the cross for you. Because he first loved us, we also love him. And our desire is to keep his commandments. God wants us to have that positive, fulfilling relationship with him and with each other. And he sees all the things that we do that hinder those relationships. And so he gives us a book that points out all those issues. And then he shows us that it's not through those actions that the relationship is perfected, but through love. And that if we love, then obeying and following those commandments is what will provide the right relationship. And that should be what is our goal from day to day. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we get hung up on the law and trying to follow a list of rules, but Lord, it's not about following the rules, it's about realizing that it's, those rules are written there just to reveal who we are and how we fall short, and that it's not in us to be able to follow all those rules, but that it is in Christ. And it's simply putting our faith in him that corrects that relationship with you. And so Lord, the rest of it is there to help us to grow, to, to give us some guidance of what we need to correct. And we need to work on those things, but that's not the main issue. The real main issue is, do I believe what you said, the promises that you have made? Do I believe that Christ his life and his death was sufficient to pay for my sin. So Lord, I just pray that everybody here would understand that this morning. I pray, Lord, that each one would believe that this morning. So again, we commit this to you in Christ's name. Amen.